Well, good morning, church. I'm Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at the Mount. I just want to welcome those of you who are over at our Fredericksburg campus watching right now. And then those of you who are watching online from somewhere around the world. And of course, those of you right here at the Stafford campus. Thank you so much for joining us on this post-Thanksgiving Sunday. And um, in the spirit of thanksgiving, I just want to say, man, aren't you just grateful and thankful for our incredible worship team that leads us every single week? Man, thank you, Pastor Andy and the team and how you guys lead us in worship every single week. You know, our scripture today, as we conclude this series, I Love the Mount, finds us in Colossians chapter 3. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there to Colossians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I just want you to know this is such an incredible book of the Bible. And even though it was written almost 2,000 years ago, there's something about this book that's still so important and so relevant for us as a church today, even in 2018. And the people in this church, they were wrestling with a few things. And the Apostle Paul writes them a letter because he wants to remind them of their identity. And see, sometimes we can find ourselves wrestling with what is because we've simply forgotten who we are. And the Apostle Paul writes them to remind them of their identity in Christ. And he wants, them to, he wants to remind them that there is freedom found in Christ. That there is victory in Christ. That life to the full is found in Jesus. But he isn't just writing them to remind them of who they are. He wants to remind them of who Jesus is. That Jesus Christ is supreme. That there is no one above Christ. And in fact, even though I know we're all still kind of getting over our tryptophan-induced turkey comas or from the past couple of days, but I wanted to start today by giving you a theological word that's been used to define the book of Colossians. And Paul uses this word and this thought because he wants the Colossian church to understand just how important he sees Jesus and how he wants them to see Jesus as well. The book of Colossians is is used to describe the preeminence of Christ. The preeminence of Christ. And what preeminence means, it means that Jesus is supreme. It means that he is above all. It means that he is the first, he is the last. It means that he should be the priority. It means that he is the resurrection and the life. It means that he is a solution for our sin problem and the savior of our souls. It means that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It means that he is our eternal hope. But see, there are times when life itself can can seem so defeating. In fact, even as we've stepped into the holiday season... Even though we may be surrounded by people and parties, by feasting and festivals, sometimes even though we're surrounded by all those things, it can still seem as if life is so filled with anxiety. Life can find us feeling alone or even lost. And in fact, during the Christmas season, we can sing or hear songs about peace on earth, yet sometimes it can seem like our lives are the exact opposite of peace on earth. Sometimes it can seem like our life is a war zone filled with landmines and sneak attacks from people that we thought loved us, but yet have done things to bring in distrust, to bring in anger or fighting in our relationships. And sometimes we can be so zoomed in on our circumstance that what, that what it seems like we've been used to 
because we're so zoomed in. It's like we can't see there's a, another way or that there could be another way to live life. But there is. You know, I really wanted just to read this whole book of Colossians, the four chapters in Colossians, and just close in prayer because this book of the Bible is so good. But I really do believe there's, there's a principle that God wants us to focus on today as we go through this book. And I think it would be especially helpful, helpful for you right now if you're feeling like your life is less like an oasis and maybe feeling more like it's out of control. And if you're looking for a book to read this week, if you're looking for something to do in your quiet time, this is the book for you to read. Just read one chapter a day over and over and over again this week. And I even want to say, even if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, but if you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to know what it is that he wants for his church, this is the book for you to read from the Bible this week. And today we're going to focus on verses 15 through 17 in chapter 3. But I really just wanted to read some of this incredible book of the Bible to you. And I promise we're going to get to those verses to focus on in just a few moments. But I wanted to start reading in verse 9 and just go through this incredible book called Colossians. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 9. And then even if you don't have a, either one of those things, you can follow with us along on the screens. So Colossians chapter 3 verse 9 says, Do not lie to each other. Now for some of you, that's the only word you needed to hear today. Because you've been living a lie. You've been trying to cover up that lie. You've been caught in the lie. And that lie is eating you up on the inside. It is destroying your life and your relationships. And probably the best thing you can do after this church service is over is go confess to some people, confess to the Lord and people in your life that you have been lying to them. Now, for some of us, maybe, it's a, maybe we've been lying to ourselves, saying, you know what, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Everything in my life is okay, I don't need counseling, I'm over that situation, I'm totally fine. Yet every time you hear that person's name, you want to punch a hole in the wall. You're saying, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need help. Yet there's something broken inside of you right now. and You don't know how you're going to get through what you're going through. And church, let me just say that it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. So confess what you need to confess. Get counsel where you need to get counsel. So do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You know, I, I love the Apostle Paul and talk about someone who had a troubled past. In fact, if the Apostle Paul could update his status on Facebook, he might put something along the lines of, it's complicated. And the Apostle Paul, he came from a very wealthy family. He was also highly educated. 
But not only was he highly educated, he was also one of the religious um, elite back in the first century. He was a Pharisee. And in fact, because the Apostle Paul, because of his position and his status as a Pharisee, when the church started to spread the message of the gospel, when Jesus came on the scene, the Apostle Paul hated everything that had to do with Jesus and his followers. So he would persecute the church. He would have Christ's followers thrown into prison. He would even have them executed. And at times he would be the one who would be throwing the stones to have these Christ followers' lives ended. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, chapter 7 through 8, it literally describes Paul as a terrorist against the church. But then Paul met the risen Jesus, and everything in his life changed. In fact, I believe if ever there was one of the initial apostles who felt like they did not deserve the grace of God, it was Paul. Because Paul endured much suffering himself. In fact, he's actually writing this letter to this church that he cared about. He's writing this letter from prison, and he endured much suffering himself, but he also caused great suffering to God's church before surrendering his life to Christ. And I was wondering this week that as Paul was writing this to encourage this church that was wrestling with some things, that maybe he himself needed a reminder You know, Paul often took the time to remind the churches he was writing to that their failure would not define them. He would write to these churches and he would let them know that their lives would not be characterized by the characters that tried to wreck their lives, but instead it would be characterized by Christ. And if you're here today and if you've surrendered your life to Christ, I just wanted to remind you, just like Paul was doing for this church, that you are chosen by God. Now you've been chosen, not abandoned, not forsaken, but chosen. Now you are holy. You're not what that person did to you. You're not what they tried to make you into, but you are a child of God. That you are loved. You are dearly loved forever, full stop. There's nothing that you could do that would make God love you more. There's nothing that you can do that would make God love you less. There is nothing, no thing that can ever separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ. So therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Come on, church, that is all good by itself. I really feel like I could just close in prayer after reading that passage in Colossians. But Paul's writing this church because this church is wrestling with some things. 
And there are false teachers trying to bring in false doctrines that's causing disunity in this church. In fact, the peace that God wanted them to have and the peace that Jesus wanted them to experience was being wrecked by these false doctrines that were coming in. In fact, the opposite of peace was happening. There was disagreements happening. There was disunity happening. Hatred and frustration and worry and anxiety were rising up in this church. And if you're feeling distrust in a relationship right now, if you've been battling disagreements in your relationships, or maybe hatred or frustration or worry or anxiety is characterizing your life right now in this season, it might be because there are enemies that are wrestling in your life trying to steal your peace from you. And Paul writes this church for them to identify these enemies of peace and to find the freedom and the peace that Jesus wants them to have. So let's identify these enemies of peace that this church was struggling with and see if maybe we're wrestling with those same things today. So if you're taking notes, the first enemy of peace is legalism. Now, for those of you who've been coming to church for a while, you're probably familiar with the idea of legalism. You've heard the term before. And for those of you who are maybe brand new to church, maybe you even clicked online or wandered into a clubhouse today in Fredericksburg, and maybe you've never heard this term before because maybe it's your first time in church or you haven't been in a while, but you may find that legalism is maybe the reason why you've stayed away from church for so long. So here's a definition of legalism to help us all get on the same page. Legalism are the rules that we impose. Legalism are the rules that we impose. Now, for some reason, churches over time, they, they, they take the, the, the commands, the principles of God, they take his commands, his rules, and his rules are not burdensome for us. His rules are not designed to hurt us, but instead to help us live our lives to its fullest potential. But for some reason, over time, churches take and individuals will take those rules and those commands of God and they will add rules to rule people. They will impose rules to either control people in their lives or even control people inside the church. But not not just that. See, legalism can be the rules that we impose by either an individual or a group of people that are ultimately leaning toward a works-based system that limits who God can reach, how we can reach them, and even who can be part of the family of God. That's completely not based on scripture. These are the rules that people create to rule people or that limit the reality of who God is. This is legalism. You know, there have been churches that have been known to actually measure your hair length And say, if your hair is not a certain length or if it's too long, you're not allowed to participate in their church. There's some churches that say, if you have a tattoo, you cannot grow in your relationship with God. You cannot be a part of the fellowship. There's even some churches that will prescribe what you need to wear that says, if you're not wearing a certain thing, you're either not honoring God or you cannot be a part of the church. In fact, one of the things I love about the mound is that we don't have any rules like that here. In fact, I think the only rule we have about dress is that you need to wear something when you come on Sunday morning. (laughs) And you know what? Even if you don't, we got a free T-shirt for you that we'll give you. And Pastor Andy has tons of skinny jeans that's good for men or women that you can borrow from him. I know he keeps them hidden around here somewhere. So I'm sure he loved that back there, but... uh... 
But see, legalism, the rules that we impose, has also shown up in churches. And back in the day, this was, we would see this in churches because certain churches wouldn't allow you to come if you were even part of a certain ethnic group or part of a certain race. We see that churches would segregate because, and, and we would see that black people could only sit in a certain section of the church or they couldn't take communion with those who were white believers in the church or even had to come at a completely different time. And those were rules that people created to rule people, rules that were created to, to impose a works-based religion that would let certain people in and keep certain people out. But again, nowhere in Scripture was this ever mandated by God. In fact, Jewish people were actually amazed that the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, really was for anyone and everyone. In fact, that's why Paul even reminds them in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, where he says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And you may say that was years ago, but we're good now. But let's look at some other modern day examples about how legalism might be affecting the church today. You know, I know it's not mandated anymore that churches segregate on Sunday morning, but yet Sunday morning is one of the most segregated times in America. In fact, you'll find somewhere that between 80 to 90% of churches are about 90% homogenous, which means that when you go to a church, you'll find about 90% of one ethnic group is the majority in that church, even though the communities around them have changed. A lot of times we see the lingering effects of this legalism, the rules that we have imposed. Or sometimes churches will say that, that the church is for saints only. So stop sharing the gospel because it's only for those who have already been following Jesus for years. It's for the saints and not for the sinner. It's when a church tries to make people behave before they can belong. It's when a church tries to say that you need to act like a follower of Jesus before you are a follower of Jesus. And again, it's imposing a system that creates a works-based religion that's never been intended by Scripture or by Christ. And what about politics? I've heard it said before that if you're not a Republican, you can't be a Christian. And see, Jesus never said that they will know you are my followers by your political party. Jesus never said, for God so loved the world that whomever believes in him would forever be a, a Democrat or a libertarian. Those words have never come out of the mouth of our savior. But see, oftentimes people will impose a rule, especially in our hot political climate, that if you're part of a particular party, you can't be a follower of Jesus. In fact, you may not even invite somebody to come to church and they're part of a certain party. But again, you have imposed a rule saying God can't reach a certain person because of their political affiliation. It's the rules that we impose. This is legalism. And since I'm being an equal opportunity offender today, how about worship? Sometimes when we come in here on Sunday mornings, we may come in here with our arms crossed. And we may say, you know what? I didn't like that song today. The Spirit of God ain't moving in this heart today because they did not play my favorite song. What? Reckless love is not on the playlist? Like, I'm, God, you're not touching this heart today. And have you ever thought about if you come in here with your arms crossed and say, man, they didn't play my favorite song, or they're playing that song again, 
saying, God, I'm not going to sing that song. Have you ever thought about how you've imposed a rule on God saying, God, unless they play my song that I love, that you can't move in this place, that you can't move in this heart today. And sometimes even when we walk in this place, if it's not our favorite thing, and we've imposed a rule on God saying, God, you will not move in this life today. And we stand there with our arms crossed against the Lord. And we've even made worship all about us. Not what God wanted, not what he intended, but it's the rules that we impose. And right now, too, if you're not a follower of Christ, a person's not a follower of Christ yet, you can also impose some rules on God. In fact, maybe you walked in here today or you walked into the clubhouse at Fredericksburg or you've clicked online and you may have even come to this place today and you're thinking, you know what, God can never love me. I've done too much to say that he will ever forgive me. And maybe even unknowingly you've imposed a rule on God saying he can never forgive this person or he can never love this person. But let me just say that that could not be further from the truth. Because the truth is God is madly in love with you. There's no sin that is too great as far from the grace of God. See, these are the rules that we impose. This is legalism. And this church, this Colossian church, they were wrestling with these things. And and this legalism was causing tension to build in the church, arguments and disagreements that Jesus never intended for his church. And it was robbing them of the peace that God wanted them to have. But the second enemy to peace that was robbing them of this peace that Jesus wanted wanted them to have is indulgence. And these are the rules that we ignore. Indulgence is the rules that we ignore. You know, another group of people that were trying to influence this Colossian church and, again, take them away from what Jesus wanted for them, another group of people were called the Gnostics. Now, the Gnostics had this philosophy that they believed that everything that possessed matter Everything that was material or had flesh was inherently evil. Now, that includes these flesh flesh matter-filled bodies that we live in. So they said that everything that was matter-filled or covered in flesh, like everything like that was inherently evil. And they even said that the only way that you would would be able to break beyond that outside of death was to actually to indulge or to engage in that whatever that evil or sinful practice is. So they pretty much said the only way you're going to appease your flesh, the only way you're going to find peace or relief was to fully dive into that sin or that temptation. See, so the Colossian church, instead of continuing to submit their desires to Christ, they were completely giving in. No denial, just pure indulgence. This is where you may say, you know what, forget it. I can't win. So I'm just going to dive in to whatever that sin is. I can't fight temptation anymore. In fact, if legalism, the rules that we impose, is having too much control on your relationship with God and your relationship with others, indulgence, the rules that we ignore, is letting whatever that temptation or sin or that person is control you. Anybody ever finished a whole box of pizza or a whole carton of ice cream on their own? And because you thought you weren't a quitter, but you're really indulging in sin, knowing that you were supposed to stop. Anybody besides me? I'm not asking for me, actually. I'm asking for a friend 
um, who, who went through some of those things. But what is it for you? In fact, some of you are there right now thinking I've already messed up. I've already crossed the line. So why not go in deeper? Why not continue? I've already started having the affair. So why would I stop? I know it's wrong. I know she's married, but why would I stop? I've already crossed the line. I know I started with just one glass at night to try to keep myself calm, but now that one glass has turned into two or three glasses in the middle of the day, and then maybe even a few bottles at night. And I've crossed the line, so why wouldn't I indulge even more? I know it was just one site that I accidentally went to, but since I've already seen those women, I've already seen those pictures, why wouldn't I go a little bit further since I've crossed the line already? Many of you know that I've been personally myself on a, on a weight loss journey. And I stopped, call, I stopped calling it dieting. And I've been on this weight loss journey because I really do want this temple to be a temple of the Lord. And I want to submit everything I am to Christ, including my eating habits, even though I love food so much, and including my own will to Jesus. And I really do want to have a long run in ministry. I really do want to have it where I do walk my daughters down the aisle one day. I really do want to have it where I teach my sons to be these mighty men after God's own heart. And I do want to be that old couple one day with my wife who we're still making out in front of people, making them feel uncomfortable because we're still so in love. Like I want to have a long run at this life and I don't want my actions, my indulgence to stop that from happening. And it was last year, one of our pastors here, his name is John Cook. I think he had his second heart attack. And I went to visit him in the hospital. And he was telling me that he had his first one at age 38. And I was getting ready to turn 38 years old. And let's just say Pastor John and I had a lot of the same eating habits. And during that season, I really saw that food was an idol in my life. So I started confessing it to God. I started to ask my life group to help keep me accountable, asking my wife to help keep me accountable. And see, but my problem is, my problem is that, my, that food is my drug. It's my coping mechanism. And I know churches oftentimes like to talk more about the bottle than they do the buffet. But the truth of the matter is that being a gluttony, being someone who follows gluttony is just as bad as being a drunkard. And see, when there's, there's been seasons in my life of stress, I oftentimes will supersize. When I feel there's seasons of doubts, I will turn to donuts. But last year, I've, I wanted to surrender this to God so God can begin doing a new work in my life. And this year so far, I've lost about 32 pounds going through this weight loss journey. Now, don't ask me if I've weighed myself since Thanksgiving, so we'll just... Uh, that's a free pass, right? But there, there have been great victories and also great struggle in this area of my life. But would you know that oftentimes, even though this has been a good journey, where there have been great victories, would you know that I still struggle? In fact, I would say it's almost every single week. There's something about when Friday comes around and the weekend is here where I can almost hear this voice in my, my mind saying, you know what? The weekend is here. It's time to throw off all restraints. It's time to indulge. It's time to enjoy. 
Like you can take all the rules and put it to the side for right now. Why not go even further? And isn't it funny how the enemy can bring us right up to that line of temptation and say, once you cross that line, it's going to bring relief. It's going to bring peace. But then once you cross that line, he immediately hits you with shame and guilt. And then he brings in the lie that says, you know what, now that you cross the line, the only thing you can do is indulge because God's not going to forgive you. God doesn't want to have anything to do with you anymore. So why not go even further? And let me just say that that cannot be further from the truth. So where are you at this morning? Are there enemies of peace right now in your life that you're wrestling with? Because there are enemies of peace like legalism, the rules that we impose, rules to rule people, and they may actually be causing turmoil in your relationship right now because you want so much control over people and even over your relationship with God. Or maybe for you it is indulgence, the rules that we ignore. Do you find that giving in creates this momentary relief, this momentary peace, but it only ultimately leads to more heartbreak in your relationships with others or even your relationship with God? See, this church was wrestling with these things 2,000 years ago, and some of us are wrestling with these things right now, and there are enemies of the peace that God wants us to have, well, see, Paul gives us three things that we can do to battle these enemies of peace, to find freedom, to find victory, to find that life to the full in Christ. So here are three ways that we can let Christ rule in our life over these enemies. The first thing is that we need to let the peace of Christ rule. We need to let the peace of Christ rule. Are you a follower of Jesus? And are you letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart? One way to know if these enemies are winning or not is how much the peace of Christ is ruling in your life right now. And see, sometimes people think having the peace of Christ means that everything in your life is all sunshine and butterflies. But that's not what having the peace of Christ means. What it means is that no matter what it is you're going through, even if your life is hell on earth right now, that you have the courage you have the strength to make it through whatever it is you're going through because Jesus is with you. That's having the peace of Christ rule in your life. In fact, Paul would write about this same thing in another church that he was writing to also when he was in prison. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. For the Lord is near. And he says, do not be anxious in anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. See, we may have these enemies of peace like legalism, the rules that we impose and indulgence, the rules that we ignore, trying to steal peace from us. But when we let the peace of Christ rule, then God does a great work in our lives. 
The second way that we can battle these enemies of peace is that we need to let the message of Christ reside. We need to let the message of Christ reside. Not these false beliefs that were causing tension and disunity and all these disagreements and anxiety to raise up in this church, but the truth that only comes from Jesus. Have you ever heard the phrase before that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free? That did not come from a politician or a president, but it came from Jesus himself in John chapter 8. And I think sometimes when we're wrestling with these enemies of peace and when we need to let the message of Christ reside, we need to ask ourselves the question, is what I'm feeling right now true? Are my actions that I'm taking right now the actions that will lead to my freedom? Because see, when it comes right down to it, the enemy would say, you know what, you need to indulge more and that will bring relief. And then the enemy will bring in guilt to say that God will never forgive you, so why wouldn't you keep on going? But see, the truth is, guilt and shame were never meant to define your life. It was never meant to become your identity. But they're almost like a wake-up call to let you know something is broken right now. I am at war with something right now, and it's time to let the message of Christ begin to reside again in my heart, in my life, and to redirect the attention back to God. That's why Paul even says in whatever you do, whether it's word or deed, to do it with Jesus in mind, to let the message of Christ reside. But see, something surprised me as I was studying this passage this past week in Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Look at these verses again in 15 through 17. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So there's the first way that we battle these enemies of peace. We let the peace of Christ rule in our heart. We ask him for his peace, that peace that transcends all understanding. And he says, since as members of one body, you were called to peace, be thankful. And he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. And there it is, let the message of Christ reside. So again, you look to who Jesus says he is. You look back to his promises and his faithfulness and his principles and his commands and his rules, and you let the message of Christ reside in your heart. But this is what I also saw this week in Colossians chapter 3. Look at these verses again. Look what's highlighted there. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. But this is how you do it. Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. To God the Father through him. See, the third way, that, third way that we fight against these enemies of peace is that we need to let praise and thanksgiving rise in the church. We need to let praise and thanksgiving in the church rise. See, there's something about thanksgiving and praise and worship that brings it all together. And as I was looking over this passage, I kept thinking, okay, the book of Colossians does paint this broad picture that Jesus is preeminent, that he is supreme above all, that he is the first and the last, that there's no one above Christ, that even though he's worthy to give our lives to, he gave up his life for us, 
that he is a solution to our sin problem. He is preeminent. I know Paul was writing because this church was wrestling with these things and legalism, the rules that were imposed were creeping into the church, causing disunity and fights and tension and indulgence, the rules that we ignore were trying to take over, causing them to ignore what Jesus wanted for them, but indulge even more in their sin. And as I was looking over that this week, I started to think about this. And I know I've said these definitions several times, but don't miss this, okay? Legalism, the rules that we impose, what it does is that it ultimately puts our attention and our affection on ourselves. Legalism puts the attention and affection, our ultimate attention and affection on ourselves. And what it does is says that what I want is more important than anything else that anybody else wants. So even that, even that means it hurts other relationships, even if it means it hurts my relationship with God. Legalism, the rules that we impose, puts our ultimate attention and affection on us. Now, indulgence, the rules that we ignore, it puts our ultimate attention and affection on our sin. We say that whatever that sin is, that temptation is, or that substance is that's trying to control us, that we're putting our ultimate attention and affection on our sin. I was thinking about how these two things will take away our ultimate attention and affection I started to think about how you want to know one of the ways that we define worship here at the Mount. We define worship as God deserves our attention and our affection. See, whether we realize it or not, if we're wrestling with these enemies of peace, indulgence, or legalism, and we are worshiping either ourselves or our sin. But Paul wants this church to know that when you turn the attention back to Jesus... You put the attention and the affection back to him. See, when we worship together as a church, when we're singing songs together, when we're ministering to one another, there's something about it that changes the atmosphere when we're singing songs to the Lord. And I really do think that Paul wanted to cap off this section of Scripture and fighting against these enemies of peace by saying that the church needs to let their praise and thanksgiving and their worship rise. Because there's something about that when we let our praise and thanksgiving and our worship rise in the church, that we really do lift our eyes. And when we lift our eyes, where does our help come from? It doesn't come from our sin. It doesn't come from within. But instead, our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. There's something about worship that turns our attention and our affection back to the one who is preeminent. The one who is above all, the one who deserves our worship. There's something about worship that reorients our life so we can have the peace of Christ rule in our hearts again, so we can have the message of Christ reside in our lives again. You know, earlier this year, I was um, wrestling with a bit of a legalistic heart myself. I had imposed a rule on God, and I had given God a deadline. And I said, God, look, this needs to happen by this date. And if it doesn't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And let's just say God ignored the rule that I imposed on him. And he ignored that deadline. And there was one day I was driving down 610 and, and I, I was having, it where, having a moment where I was thinking about how this deadline has passed, how God ignored this rule that I imposed on him. But I was also feeling anxious and full of worry and just frustrated that God, in essence, didn't do what I asked him to do. 
And all these thoughts were running through my mind. And, and it's almost like I was indulging on my thoughts. I was ignoring the rules that I shouldn't be anxious in anything, but instead by prayer and petition, present my request to God. I was ignoring that. And I was going through every worst case scenario, indulging in on my thoughts. But see, I was also the leader. My wife and I were leading a life group, and our life group was going to this series called Goliath Must Fall that our whole church did earlier this year. And one of the homework assignments was that we needed to memorize Psalm 16, verse 8. And me as the pastor, the leader of the group, had not done his homework yet. And we're about to meet in a couple hours. So I'm driving down 610, and all these anxious thoughts and this worry and this frustration are just dominating my mind. And I know that I have to memorize this verse because, I mean, I can't show up as a leader and not at least have the homework done. And for some reason in recent history, the only way that I can really internalize and memorize Scripture is by putting it in song form. So I'm driving down 610, and I start singing Psalm 16, verse 8. And it goes like this. I said, I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. As I'm singing this psalm over and over and over again, on 6:10. My situation didn't change. God didn't automatically say, "Look, okay, I'm going to meet your deadline, that rule you try to impose on me." But would you know that the peace of Christ began to rule in my heart again? As I let this psalm of praise rise up from my automobile on Garrisonville Road, would you know that the message of Christ started to come into my mind and into my heart again? And it started to reside and God started to remind me, look, in the proper time, you will reap a great harvest if you don't give up. He started to remind me that he's not going to abandon me nor forsaken me. He started to remind me that he's going to complete the work that he began in me. And he started to remind me of who he is and what it is that he's called me to do. See, there's something about when we sing together as a church, when you lift up these psalms and these songs to God, whether you're either by yourself or together as a church, there's something about that that reorients your life back to what it is that God has called you to. So when you feel like there are enemies of peace, trying to wrestle the peace that God wants to have for you in your life, elevate your praise. When you feel like peace is being robbed from you, elevate your thanksgiving. When you're trying to wrestle with indulging in sin or trying to control every situation through legalism, elevate your praise and worship to God. And watch how God changes the atmosphere when you reorient your life back to the one who is above all, who is supreme above all, and the one who can truly bring peace to let that peace rule in our hearts. I'm going to ask our worship team to go ahead and make their way back up to the stage. And as they're making their way back up to the stage, we're going to close the service a little bit differently today. And as they're making their way back up to the stage, I just want to talk to the person in the room for a moment who's not yet a follower of Christ. 
Again, maybe for some reason, you know, you wandered into the clubhouse, you clicked online, you came into this room today here at Stafford, and maybe you don't even know the reason why you're here. Maybe you've imposed a rule on God and you said, you know what, I know that God can never forgive me. I know that he could never love this person. Let me just say again, that could not be further from the truth. God is madly in love with you. And today it's been our prayer that he would meet you right here inside this place, that he would meet you right where you are. And today would be the day that you would surrender your life to Christ. And maybe you're just tired of being controlled by sin, indulging in those temptations or those struggles. Maybe you're tired of having other people trying to control your life. Why not let the person who loves you more than anyone lead you? And if you're ready to give your life to Christ, today is the day. So at every location, you're going to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if that's you, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus right now in this moment, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And just pray this prayer right where you are today. Say, Jesus, today I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. Jesus, today, I want you to rule in my heart. Jesus, forgive me of my past. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Today, God, you are the Lord and leader of my life. And while everyone says their heads down, their eyes closed, if that was you today and you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you pray to ask Jesus to become the Lord and leader of your life, I'm going to count to three. And when I hit three, I want you to shoot your hand up in the air to say that today I'm declaring that Jesus' peace is going to rule in this heart, that the message of Christ is going to reside in this life. So if that was you today, are you ready? One, two, Three, going to raise your hand up, shoot it up straight in the air. Keep it up there just for a moment for our prayer team to make their way around to you. And if you're watching online, going to click right below me as you've decided to give your life to Christ today. And then the rest of you, would you just look up here, up at me for a moment? You know, there's something about letting praise and thanksgiving rise in the church. And maybe you did walk in here today and maybe your mind has been so just focused on other things that you haven't even been able to hear what God wanted to say to you. Maybe it was a fight that happened over Thanksgiving and maybe there's the opposite of peace in your life right now. Maybe you walked into this room today and maybe you did walk in with your arms crossed. Like God is not gonna reach me today. I'm not doing my favorite song. I didn't like that new song earlier. But what if we change the atmosphere right now? What if we put into practice what we just heard? And what if we let our praise and our thanksgiving rise as a church? I'm believing that some of you guys today, as we do this, that the message of Christ is gonna begin to reside in your life again. That the peace of Christ is gonna rule in your life right now. So let's all stand together. And Father God, I wanna thank you God, that you've been so good to us. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you are preeminent, that you are above all, 
God, but you are also worth it all. And I pray, God, that these age-old struggles, this legalism, the rules that we impose, God, it puts our ultimate attention and affection on us. God, the indulgence that we wrestle with, that puts the ultimate attention and affection on our sin would not be what rules us, but instead it would be Jesus. And I pray, God, right now as we get ready to, to move from a posture of crossing our hands, but instead of lifting our hands to you, God, would you meet us right here? God, help us to let our praise and our thanksgiving rise right now in this place.